What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. London's in great shape. It's got a very healthy market. It's still the place where the world comes to raise capital. There's going to be big domestic markets. Obviously, the US is a huge domestic capital market. We'll see the rise of China as a big domestic market. Uh, but as for the rest of the world, the UK's a highly diverse financial market, which is great. Welcome to In the City, Bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the conversations and the stories shaping the world of finance. I'm David Merritt in New York with Allegra Stratton in London. Hello, Allegra. Hi, Dave. So we managed to uh, interview this week the city minister for the UK. I think we've been trying to get the city minister for in the city for some time, but we got him in, the, in New York City rather than in London. But um, yeah, I sat down with him earlier in, early in the week here. I mean, he is, I, we call him the city minister. I think he's a, his real job title is economic secretary to the treasury. What, what does that job mean? Like how important is it in government? I think, it's fair, I think it is fairly important. And I think city minister doesn't really cut it. I mean, technically he's responsible for British financial services sector. But really, when you've got uh, the United Kingdom and the economy having the debate we're all having about where growth is coming from and everybody head scratching and being fairly worried, that role that, that Andrew Griffiths or Griff, as he, as oh, is, he, he is, is he known as Griff? <laughs> I did overlap with him in, when I was um, working in government at a very lowly level to him. Um, we worked on COP26 together because he was, I don't remember his exact title, but I think it was Net Zero Czar and he was very impressive then. Um, and I think he's fairly impressive now. But he's, he's, you know, you've got this huge debate about where growth is coming from. Part of that, the government think, is going to be their reforms, which you'll go on and talk to him about. Um, and so it's a fairly crucial job um, trying to bring in these reforms that are going to support new business, new growth in the city of London. I mean, he was uh, sitting down with him. He's definitely... Uh, zealous about these reforms. Right? I mean, there's a long list of things he seems to have commissioned. Mm. He's uh, trying to change um, uh, regulations, but also he talks about like the cultural change that's needed mm. uh, to kind of give the city of London a bit of a boost. But then there's this kind of backdrop to the whole thing, which is that, you know, we're like a year away from an election. So like this very long shopping list he's got and he's kind of banging the drum for it all. Well, but yeah. the, the clock's ticking, right, on a on an election. Can he get any of it done in time? Yeah, and the, and the other um, element you haven't mentioned um, is, you know, in March this year, Bloomberg Scoop, that, that Arm, a Cambridge-based uh, UK company, uh, was deciding to list in the US. You know, we have some considerable facts here to deal with. And, and Andrew Griffiths is in New York because he has to deal with the, with the threat or the attraction of that city versus London. So yes, you're right. There's a, a there's a long, long shopping list of reforms he wants to bring in, but equally, um, the context is very, very challenging, as we say, yeah, euphemistically. I'm... But he, the thing that, that that it would be good for people to know before they before they listen to your interview is, you know, he is a former CEO himself, and that is actually quite rare at the top of politics, top of British politics. So, and I know from experience working alongside him um, that he that he he carries a room. People do listen to him. If you look closely at what Labour's saying, they're saying things that are very similar to what 
Andrew is saying around the reforms that the city needs. Um, there are some differences, of course, but not ginormous ones. So he does, he, he is, you know, he is listened to and is speaking with authority because he does actually understand what firms need to invest. So he's impressive. He's also in a safe seat, Dave. You mentioned the ah, election, not me. Right. Um, so <laughs> he's probably thinking he's in Parliament for quite a while to come if he wants to be. Um, he didn't come in until very recently, 2019. Right, 2019, so right? So yeah. he's, not been, he's not been a politician for very long. He is a newbie. And um, sadly, the way Westminster works is that that uh, rubs some people up the wrong way. That they, you know, they think you have to do time before you get up into, into government. Um, but, uh, but equally, I don't think many would dispute his expertise in this area. Okay, great. So let's have a listen to the conversation we had earlier this week uh, here in New York. So let's talk about listings then a little bit. Obviously, a lot's been written about this uh, in the last year. You said it, they've dried up somewhat. Truth is, they've dried up more in London, haven't they? We've seen, we all know the big one, um, uh, didn't list in its home country, it listed in New York. And I know that there are reforms being discussed to make London more attractive. How are we doing in that process? And are you more optimistic that maybe the IPO market might be looking up from here on in? I am optimistic because I see the latent natural advantages of London and none of those have been diminished whatsoever. The rule of law, the English language, our fortuitous time zone and the fact it is a highly international market, the City of London in particular, uh, is incredibly diverse by nation of birth. It's the most diverse city uh, in the world. So you start with that bedrock of natural advantages. We are making reforms. We have already made some. So I try and think of my time horizon, if you like, as, as the two years, the two years from when Prime Minister took over, asked me to be the city minister, uh, and the likely, people say, uh, timing of a general election, you know, towards the, the third or fourth quarter of mm -hmm. next year. So that gives us a two-year time horizon. We're 13 months through that. The big piece of work was getting the Financial Services and Markets Act on the statute book that mm -hmm. uh, was done before the summer. And that really gives us the powers and the plumbing of the system. So a lot of good work has already been done. You can do things like list now and only float 10% of your company in London. That was one of the things that, you know, perhaps was a little bit off the pace compared with some other markets. That's now fixed already. Uh, if you look at what the FCA is doing on the market effectiveness review, that will speak to things like, and this, you know, this is something that I think Arm themselves said was was a potential issue, the related party rules. Mm. And we've had a really good debate with institutions about, you know, how we should run governance around these things. Uh, and how do you get a level playing field versus other major markets? Yeah. So there's obviously been a range of views on this, haven't there? How much do you deregulate in order to, tr to attract IPOs? And a lot of the institutional investors have said, look, London needs to be the gold standard. We've got these rules are there for a reason. And whereas some founders would say this is absurd and that's why they're fleeing to other markets. So where are you on that spectrum? And you said you've never used the word Singapore on Thames, but post-Brexit, we do have the ability to deregulate. Where are you on that spectrum between like the gold standard of regulation to a more freewheeling kind of capitalist environment where some of these startups might feel more at home? Well, you, you lay out very well, David, the two extremities. Mm. And the extremities is not where we're going to be. There is a little bit of a, a touch on the tiller. Uh, a slight reset, I think, on the, on the pendulum between those two, when you look at some of the innovations in capital markets, that we've now got the ability through having control of our rule book to make 
age-appropriate or proportionate rules uh, that are right for the fact pattern we've got now. And it's certainly true. I mean, it's definitely a consideration. You know, when we look at the, the really big global pools of capital, they can choose whether they buy or invest via New York uh, or via the, the UK. And so we do look for somewhat of a level playing field. We're not going to ape any particular market, but it's quite right that if you're a fund manager and you say, I've got this particular policy, then you shouldn't apply just that policy in London uh, and then go and invest in a company in the same sector, perhaps, that's listed in New York. So we would definitely go and say to some of the biggest pools of capital in the world, you've got to behave in a way that's consistent across multiple markets. Don't say, mm. you know, you, you, you want one related party regime that to apply in the UK. And if, if that isn't the regime, the sky will fall in. Mm. But then you go and out of the same portfolio, you know, same underlying individual's beneficiary's money, you'd invest quite happily in a US company with a very different governance model. Mm. That's just not how the world should work. Um, but we will make the decisions that are right for the UK. We are part of all of the highest quality regulatory bodies in the world. You know, the FSB, IOSCO, Bank of International Settlements. You will find the UK and UK regulators always in the room. So it's definitely not a dumbing down, a race for the bottom, whatever the particular mm. you know description this week is. And how much do you think in terms of the EU... Uh, as some of these moves going to mean we diverge. I mean, it's in our power now, in, in, in mm. the UK's power, to diverge from a lot of the rules that, that the UK helped to write. We right, did, yeah, the European yeah, Union. Yeah. How much do you see us diverging? And what does that mean for the city's relationship with the rest of the EU? Well, first of all, we have a really good relationship with the EU. Uh, a bit better now, right? I think almost, almost ironically better. You know, if you look at what the Prime Minister did with the Windsor framework yeah. and uh, Ursula van der Leyen, uh, the fact that we very quickly signed, you know, what had been a long-standing uh, memorandum of understanding on financial services. We recently hosted in the Treasury the first uh, regulatory working group uh, with officials from the Commission. Uh, so I think our de facto relationships are very strong. Uh, in most areas, we are in de facto alignment with the EU because we're still operating under the same corpus of regulation. Um, and where we do diverge, you know, I think we should do so and we will do so thoughtfully. So if I picked an example, uh, Solvency 2, you know, it's a, it, it's a big potatoes. There's 100 billion of potential capital in insurance funds today that we can use for infrastructure. Um, we have come up with our own version of Solvency 2, Solvency UK. Um, but that's largely because we have a different fact pattern. The really big pools of private pension capital very long tenured is just different from the social insurance model for pensions from most of the other 27. And so in that case, thoughtfully, we have chosen to use the agility of having our own rule book to set rules that Without are right sort for of us. provoking the EU to kind of retaliate in some way. That's yeah, correct. Kind of I mean, no one, no one wants a, you know, these zero sum games. Actually, yeah. You know, if I had a, a, another title, it'd be the Minister for Removing Friction from Capital <laughs> Markets because, right. you know, capital markets abhor friction. They want liquidity. Liquidity is really important as well mm. in terms of the stability and resilience of the financial system. So the last thing I think anyone should want, including our friends yeah. in Europe, is to fragment particular aspects of the market. And London is not just a UK asset. It's an asset for the whole continent of Europe. It's a place where they right. can come like, and raise capital at a time the world's never needed capital more for some of the challenges we're facing. Yeah, and I don't want to dwell too much on the B word on Brexit, but obviously in terms of friction, friction was inserted in the relationship after 
the split from the European Union. And one of the beneficiaries actually of some of that friction has been right here in New York City in terms of yeah. some business. And, you know, we talk about things like clearing, right? Such a big part of the city infrastructure. And actually the imposition of rules on that by the EU means a lot of that business comes here instead. Is that something you're concerned about? Um, look, it is a concern. I've just talked about the challenges of fragmentation of putting in frictions where they need not exist. Now, look, the EU is sovereign. I mean, we're, we're sovereign. That's That was part of the point of this, to get control of our rule books. So they're going to have to do the rules that are right for them. But I would say, look, what's served us so well historically is this fact we operate in global financial markets, is the fact that you can access capital you know, at an affordable price. And even in the, the tenure of the last 12 months, we've seen across the board a significant increase in the cost of capital for every business, for every sovereign. Um, so this isn't a time that I think anyone should be pursuing agendas that are likely to, to provoke fragmentation and, and unforeseen consequences. And actually, I know that there are many voices within Europe uh, that make precisely those arguments to say it's up to them to decide where they, they yeah. come out on that. It's a very different tone how you're talking about this than some of the rhetoric we had, you know, in those slightly turbulent years after the vote in 2016. That's a conscious decision by the prime minister, by the government to kind of smooth out relations. And we saw it with Windsor, as you noticed. Mm. How much further can that go? We, might we get equivalents even? Or is that too much of a... I, I just I just wouldn't use that word, David. I mean, I think, look, the tone does come from the Prime Minister and the Chancellor. It's also my tone. I'm, I'm a pragmatist. At, you know, at the time of Brexit, you know, I was running businesses in Germany, Italy, Switzerland, Spain and the UK. So nobody particularly wanted friction, but it's perfectly fair that... The, one of the ways that, that states will compete and, and try and deliver prosperity for their citizens is by having rules and regulations that are right for them. So, um, but, but my tone will always be uh, a reasonable, pragmatic one. One of the, the strong things about the financial and professional services industry is we are very data-led, uh, but we're also led by other things like skills, openness to uh, mobility of labour. Uh, we have a more permissive working visa regime now than we did at the time of Brexit in 2016. And that's a, an asset for both sides of that equation, for the people that come and, and lend us their skills, but also for the UK as a, as a way of competing. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I want to ask you about the question of risk. And you've spoken about the need for London to embrace a riskier approach to capital markets and as a way to attract more, more founders, more capital to the city. Where are we on that journey? Risk is incredibly important. I do talk about risk in almost every time I speak or write um, because you can't have a zero risk financial system um, and there's a lot of unintended consequences. And I do think that we've got that slightly out of kilter and, and, and some of the reforms that we're trying to make are to put a little bit more risk in the system in a sensible way. Everyone always takes that to extreme, but you do need some risk to generate reward. This is good. You're going to incentivize some of the institutional investors to kind of... Or, or remove some of the impediments to risk-taking, because I think the latent desire to take risk is there. I think that's why the UK is a fantastic asset management industry, but it's also why we have a great tech ecosystem, fintech, and we're very good, actually, at raising money in the early stages, you know, angel, seed, things like that. Where it, it tails off a bit is when it becomes a little bit more institutionalized. And I think that is partly the the way in which regulatory systems uh, incentivize people. So if you look at pensions, we've we've had a lot of focus on daily liquidity rather than performance over the long term. So if you're looking to really drive performance over 30 or 40 years, you don't necessarily want to pay a performance penalty for having only very liquid assets in there. Similarly, some of the other rules around how you can access large-scale risk capital. So that's what is at the heart of a lot of our reforms. And then there's a culture piece as well. I mean, you mentioned fintech. London wants to style itself as a bit of a fintech hub. We get a lot of complaints, though, don't we, from founders, like they can't get the licenses, that London isn't a particularly supportive ecosystem for them. Do you agree with that? The data says that we're the second largest fintech hub in the world. London, has, as a city, has overtaken San Francisco recently. So I, th I think the data says we're in a good place, but I am always the very opposite of complacent. So there are a number of cases where we need to improve the clock speed. You mentioned, you know, getting licenses, authorizations is one. People time, raise right? with me a long time. Yes. Um, and, and that was why we've put a new duty on the regulators, an additional duty alongside some others about growth and international competitiveness. So it's about the yeah. mandate for the regulators, really, to sort of change the goalposts of them and say, you need to incentivize this stuff. Yeah, or, or prioritize. You know, the, the, you know to, to, you've got to make choices. Um, strategy is a set of choices. But if one of those is that we do want to be more internationally competitive and we're in New York and there'll be plenty of firms here that are making decisions this morning about where do they put the next executive, where do they put a bit of capital onto a desk. And those are the most difficult conversations because... The government's not in the room and considerations like the speed with which someone can just go and set up and start work, even if they've been regulated in the US and they've got a track record, you know, that is where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. And so, you know, we've put that new duty on regulators. There'll be a scorecard that, that has some performance management that exposes the performance on some of these metrics. And we do want to try and just you know, reintroduce in some cases the practitioner voice. So it shouldn't be the city minister telling everyone how to, to do their jobs. You really want the practitioner voice around the table inside those arm's length regulators that are operationally independent day to day. You've also talked about London or your aspirations for London to be a real hub for crypto. Now, here in New York City last week, Sam Bankman-Fried was convicted of massive fraud, mm -hmm. securities fraud, could potentially go down one of the biggest frauds in history, the FTX. There was no regulation pretty much to speak of 
of that situation. So does what does the crypto story and the FTX story tell you about the kind of the need to, to regulate new industries like crypto and how can London respond to that? I think the role of London, and this is true on crypto assets, distributed ledger technology, but it's also true, I think, on uh, AI and other emerging domains is we should try and see ourselves as a little bit of a Goldilocks, a bit of an honest broker. So, you know, not at the always the, the bleeding edge. There'll be other regimes that, you know, are more dynamic, but don't have some of the quality and trust attributes of London. Uh, but neither should we put our head in the sand when there's innovation happening. London is a fintech hub and there are opportunities from technologies as well as clearly risks. And we've probably seen quite a lot of the risk side of the ledger quite publicly. So we want to steer a middle course. We've been, I think, very thoughtful. We've consulted a lot. We came out last week with a set of principles for the regulation of crypto assets in the UK. Mm -hmm. Again, in part building on what others have done, Europe have, have come out with their own version. Uh, we've built on that, taken a little bit further forward in some areas like DeFi mm -hmm. and not leave it as a regulatory vacuum. So, so we, we are now bringing the financial promotion of crypto assets within the perimeter of the regulator. You know, that will, you know, it'll cause a little bit of noise, but it will also incentivize the good actors that, that want to invest in the right systems that are willing to be transparent, have the right protective mechanisms in place. It will give them an incentive that they can build a sustainable business on the back of that. But so do you see crypto as being a kind of increasingly important part of kind of London's portfolio of of things that it's, you know... I'd hope so. Heart. I think it's an, yeah. ultimately the market will decide or investors will decide. I think it builds naturally on our strengths in terms of things like fintech, in payments, technologies, in clearance, how, in clearance. And we've got a big piece of work on digitalization of share registers, of securitizations. Last week, I spoke at the opening of Andreessen Horowitz's office in, in London. Mm -hmm. I am meeting a number of firms over here who are, who are just thinking about where next and whether there's a merit in having their European or their global footprint uh, in London. So it's definitely an opportunity for us, um, but others will decide where that sits yeah. in the broader context. And it's, to be clear, it's just one of many priorities I have to try and help build uh, the, the City of London. And, you know, I've been looking with the insurance industry at a, right. uh, a new captives regime onshore in London, you know, so just right at the other extreme, one of the oldest parts mm. of our industry, but something that London's prodigiously good at. Wherever there are opportunities to innovate, opportunities to add to the capabilities of London, as a reforming and busy, hopefully, city minister, I'm I'm there working with the industry. So possibly less than a year to go into an election. And, you know, let's not sugarcoat it. The Conservative Party are pretty far behind in the polls. So you may not have a lot of time to get what sounds like a very busy agenda through. What are going to be your priorities in the coming months? We've got lots of, so last year was putting the, the legislation on the statute book. Uh, this year is about delivering what they call the secondary legislation, all of the individual changes to rule books on the back of that. It's a broad agenda. So the best way I describe it is the aggregation of marginal gains. There's a measure on prospectus directives here and looking at how we can do sustainability reporting there. And then this overall arc of how do we get the culture right? How is our governance practice competitive? And then all of the big pieces of work on the demand side. So that goes to institutional capital with solvency reform, pensions capital with all of the different changes that we're looking to help the pensions industry deliver better returns for their beneficiaries, but incidentally providing more productive risk capital in the process. 
Uh, and then finally, a passion of mine is to see what we can do to incentivize and support individual savings and investment. We're in New York, you know, the US has a lead on us on this one. You'll go and talk about a baseball game or this time of year, uh, ice hockey or something. But very quickly, people will start talking about the equities they own, what's in their 401k plan. No, you don't talk would, about that in Britain. <laughs> they, this, is, this is not a big conversation on no, the barbecues of Arundel and South no, Downs. Yeah, exactly. um, and, and, you know, we won't get all the way there, but there has been a point in history where there has been more individual uh, share ownership, equity ownership and investment than there is now. Uh, and I know that the Chancellor and I would like to get back and do all we can to support that because... You know, people need capital. It's, there's wonderful things in the ability to transmit wealth across points in time from when you're earning to when you need that wealth. And definitely investment has a big role to play in that. Sounds like a busy, busy few well, months hopefully, got. hopefully productive. I mean, right. it, you know, we've got the time we we've got the time we need to do that. I think if there's a if there's an election in about a year's time, that journey I talked about of sort of 24 months, we can deliver all of the reforms that we've been talking about to date. Andrew Griffiths, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, David. Right. So that was the Griff, um, you know, in <laughs> bullish in bullish mode, I think, you know, like t- talking about strength of London, you know, ironically, obviously sitting in New York. <laughs> and as you mentioned, where, you know, we lost out the biggest listing of the year from the UK to New York City, but in still kind of very bullish mo- mood and tone. Um, what what are your takeaways from that conversation? Well, I think what comes across is his grasp of detail. Um, I think you found that too, didn't you, Dave? Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, it's all at his fingertips, you know, and I think um, it's not always the case when you talk to a politician, <laughs> is it, that they've got the kind of arms around all of the... And all of this is very technical stuff as well, right? Like financial regulation. Really complicated um, really and complicated. Uh, will benefit from his um, near two-decade experience running companies. So... Um, yeah, so he, he's got a grasp of the detail. Um, but it isn't just ARM that went, is it? It was ARM is the sort of highest profile, most recent example of, of a, tr- a general trend since 2015. We've had a reduction in number of listings in the UK and America is really attractive for all the, for many reasons that I'm sure our listeners completely viscerally understand. So it's not just that we've had a sort of difficult year. It's a, a, a direction of travel. I, th- I think my reflections on, the interview are that he he could paint in slightly more primary colours about what Brexit might stand to deliver in his portfolio, because I think you know here at Bloomberg we're you know very very immersed in the in the the detail of how Brexit has affected badly the British economy, but there is a strong argument that 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 in this particular area being outside the EU will allow the government with solvency 2 to be bringing in reforms that will allow more investment to go into startups and so on and i think he he was very uh, detailed and lucid about it but he perhaps when you go into an election you do need to start to paint, as i say paint in more primary colors so i think he could kind of take a step back and be less dense about it and more sort of bang the drum for the changes that are now possible because of Brexit, which, as I say, you know, it's, you know, many cabinet ministers and ministers struggle to, to, to find that clear landing zone. But I think yeah, he can. Yeah, exactly. But, and he can be sort of credible on that, kind of because of, of his business background. And I, the way he talked about wanting to remove friction, uh, with, when obviously Brexit has been a massive creator of friction, but then on this scale between being sort of Singapore on Thames or kind of the deregulation part, the tone of it, I thought, is very different now, isn't it? It's all about 
uh, being conciliatory with the European Union and having a kind of constructive development. So not diverging in a way that's going to kind of provoke a reaction. Mm. And that is a very different place to where we've heard some of the rhetoric on Brexit and the kind of, you know, liberate the city yeah. and aggravate Brussels at the same time. <laughs> nice. Um, it's the, the phrase Goldilocks that he used. And I think I think we've used it on this podcast a couple of times in recent weeks on very similar areas, particularly on AI is the one I'm remembering most recently, this idea that, you know, it, it isn't quite America, but nor is it as restrictive as the EU. And that was something that you know back in the day the Brexiteers. If we how long have we how long since we've used that name? But you know that was what they wanted, and it's it's been a, a choppy um, number of years. But I think that's that's the place that people like Andrew Griffiths will be wanting to get to. The ch- the challenge, and you're sitting in New York, Dave, so you will feel this. You know the challenge is that there's just cultural reasons why America is preferable for companies around you know, respecting the right of a founder to want to keep control over their company and not have their shares diminished and their voice and their opinion diminished. So I I didn't feel that Andrew necessarily yet was kind of, you know, speaking particularly persuasive on that fundamental challenge to people who set up a company and want to kind of keep some, you know, a lot of ownership over it. Right. And he he used the word cultural or the, the phrase cultural change that's needed both in the city and I guess more broadly in the UK economy. I mean, that's a pretty heavy lift, isn't it? Especially staring down the barrel of an election where you're 20 points behind. It is, uh, but, uh, but we, we talked about it earlier. I mean, you know, if you look closely at what Labour's saying, my suspicion in this is this area is that Labour keep going with Andrew Griffiths's, it's a mouthful that, but in, 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 with the agenda. Yeah. Um, there is there's not much to choose, right? No. There's, there is some difference around dismantling the ring fences around retail banking, but fundamentally, Tulip Sadiq, who's who's his opposite number for Labour, and you know, current polling suggests she'll, you know, if she keeps in that portfolio, she goes into government to do his job. I mean, obviously these things change, but the language and the the messaging she's using is very similar to him, and that's because solvency too, and the and the ability to get more capital into exciting companies from pension funds and so on is 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 a big deal and you listen to Jeremy Hunt the chancellor talk about it he thinks there's potentially 100 billion pounds of money that could flow because of that now we'll get to see if that's the case but you know labor understand that if their agenda which was going to be you know will be different and will be you know not completely different but you know probably more of an emphasis on an emphasis on clean energy you know for them that injection of cash is going to be incredibly helpful yeah, it's going to be hard. It's hard to argue against it, really, isn't it? I think pension I, funds maybe, have had a go. I think <laughs> right, right. Pension funds may <laughs> maybe have a go, but it's like half it. So maybe we should get him back in early next year on a progress. But as we were leaving the um, the interview, I, you know, because he was talking about removing friction, and I said we've we've had a bit of friction getting you on the podcast. And like a true politician, even though he's not been one for very long, he blamed the civil servants. They always <laughs> do. In the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, if you like our show, please head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review and subscribe. It helps people find the show. This episode was hosted by me, David Merritt and Allegra Stratton. It was produced by Summer Sardi with help from Anna Lu. Additional editing by Blake Maples and special thanks to Andrew Griffith.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.